Welcome to this, the One White Woman podcast. My name is Nene White, and I'm deeply grateful to share this conversation with Alvin Garrett with you. Alvin Garrett is not interested in partial truths. And in this conversation, we cover a broad range of topics, which several times circled back to the issue of real empathy, which Alvin affirmed several times that it cannot be forced through a sense of guilt or in any other way. If you, as a white person, have ever felt uneasy about talking to a black person for fear of saying the wrong thing or making the wrong move, Alvin helps to identify the root cause of that frustration. And he follows that insight with a view from the black person's perspective. He explains that we need to stop trying to prove to each other what we are and what we are not and let our guards down and start connecting from that place of openness. We go on to talk about Braver Angels, a highly effective nonprofit organization to which he and I independently have found a home for engaging in the process of bringing Americans together to listen and learn from each other rather than listening to the media's inflammatory sound bites in order to, uh, with mutual respect, bridge the destructive partisan divides for the purpose of strengthening our democratic republic for everyone's benefit. So that's what the Braver Angels organization is all about. Alvin's viewpoint on the reason that George Floyd's murder triggered a global response brings this conversation to a whole other level. And if you've ever wondered if, as I often have, how some Black people, in spite of all the challenges they live with on a daily basis, just by being Black in America, how they can, they, they only become stronger maintaining their freedom from the toxicity of negativity. You will definitely appreciate Elvin's answers and thoughts on that topic. The part of our conversation about privilege and white privilege is pure gold. And just to give you a quick heads up, guilt has nothing to do with it, no value and no place in what he suggests we can do with our right privilege, white privilege to make a, a, a positive difference. And we concluded with uh, some of our combined thoughts on one of my favorite subjects, critical thinking, its importance, its obstacles, its challenges, and its rewards. All right, so thank you again for being here. I hope you will uh, share this on social media if you can. This is a very valuable, enriching conversation to people from supposedly opposite sides of the spectrums, really respectfully communicating, not being shy to talk about the difficult topics so that we can have more communication, so that we can all thrive together. All right, thank you again for being here. All right, I was, I was finishing up a a meeting and I was like, I gotta go. I gotta talk to this one white woman. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, Alvin Garrett, that's the way we're going to start this conversation. <laughs> that's fine with me. Oh, yeah. You are a busy man. Your, your life is just spread so, so wide and so deep, drawing on your depth of, of wisdom and insights and heart and curiosity and generosity. Um, I could actually go on. I've done some scooping around on you on the internet. Oh, well, that's Just, good. I, I mean, when I first found out about you, I was like, ooh, I want to talk to this man. And then the more I found out, I was like, whoa, can I talk to this man? <laughs> but, wow. um, you know, I think there's all kinds of dimensions that we could go into, and I hope we do, and I trust that we will. Uh, yes, yes. Because I know that um, you like to elevate things your music, your teeth, your sharing of your wisdom with people and with your children and just in everyday interactions. Yeah. But, but I want to get into the, all the levels of it, you know? Yeah. Okay. The light and the dark so we can get a whole picture, please. I love it. I love it. And I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate your, you know, desire to want to, like you say, see the whole picture and, um, we miss out on so much because we only want to see the small piece of the world that the algorithms tell us we're supposed to see, you know. <laughs> and um, and I said, so we cannot be zombified by just taking that small slither of exposure to the world and not open up and try to see a little bit more of it. So I'm honored uh, to talk with you. The honor is mine. I have to tell you that until George Floyd's murder, I was mm. in that small algorithm, you know, mm. there was nothing that was waking me up, you know, I was a good person. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and I find that the more that I look at all of what's out here, especially for you as a black man, mm -hmm. uh, the more whole I feel. Mm. But I don't want this to be about me, but I'm just telling you why, why this show, why this podcast. So please, I invite you. Where would you like to start? You're a Grammy-nominated musician. You're a loving <laughs> father. You're a, you're a real human being that, that doesn't let things slip by. You, you right. make, yeah. I, so where would but you, you know, like to start? I, I like to start with a, a question. Why yeah. is it not about me? Right? Why is it not about you? Like, why is this, why is it not okay for it to be about you? Right? It is. This is all about you. Right? Uh, this entire conversation is about what matters to you. And, and so I'm no more special than anybody. That's where it all starts. And the reason why we can't make connections is because I can't diminish your importance because you are a white female in America. Once I do that, then I cannot connect with you, right? Because if I'm asking you or telling you that my life matters to this degree, well, I have to first acknowledge that yours does as well. So this is about you, right? <laughs> and if I can't start there, then I can't steer the ship. I can't educate you. I can't uplift you if I don't first acknowledge your humanity, right? And to me, that's what's missing in terms of making the connection and building advocacy uh, with any on any cause, anything. The formula is missing. The you, people that want advocacy 
can't show anybody else how to do it, <laughs> right? You can't guide a person to empathy because why? You want to beat them into it, into submission. Beat them, beat them, beat them, beat them. And what you do is you cause more and more frustration. And it's not, and there's a thin line between hatred and frustration, right? And if you try to beat a person over the head and make them see you, make them feel you, I don't have to. I'm, I'm black and male. I don't have to wake up and be white and female. That's not a requirement, right? Why do I have to care about what matters to you? I don't, right? Same way for you. You don't have to care. And like you said, until this thing happened, you, I wasn't a bad person. I just didn't see it. Wasn't, I didn't see it. So, so at the end of the day, for me, I see it as an honor that a person would give me an ear, but I also see it as also my responsibility to treat that person. I know it sounds old, treat them how you want to be treated, but really do it, like actually do it. And it's much harder uh, than people think. <laughs> it's much harder than people think. And that's to put yourselves in the shoes of a person you want to connect with. You know, most black men have no clue how to talk to white men at all. They don't know how frustrating it is to a white male having to prove every single day I'm not racist. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that burden feels like, right? Because you never talk to a white man because why? If he made one wrong step, you're a racist. <laughs> I have never heard this perspective from a black person. Most people haven't because it's not common. But when you wonder why people are so frustrated and they stop listening to you at all, it's because they're tired of proving what they're not. Right, the same way black people say, let's run out in the streets, burn everything down because the police kill somebody, right? It's because of that frustration that builds up trying to prove I'm not a criminal. I'm right. just a man right. jogging. Right. I'm just a man jogging in the neighborhood. I don't deserve to die today. Right. And that causes frustration. But imagine the other side who says, no, I don't use the N word. I don't understand, but I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm not a racist. <laughs> At some point, I'm just going to stop listening altogether because no matter what I do, you're going to think I'm racist. So let me go back over to the comfort of my whiteness in America because right. no matter what I do, how hard I try, right. I'm racist to you. So forget it. I'm cool, right? <laughs> so I say my first step is to engage by saying, listen, you don't have to prove to me what you're not. Same way I don't prove to you what I'm not. <laughs> and so if we meet there, now we can let those guards down and say, oh, I'm, and most, when I have this conversation with white men, it's hard to keep them from holding back tears because they realize I've been walking on eggshells yeah. every day being a white man and, and a black man actually cares. This is phenomenal. Didn't even know I felt this way because I never heard it before because yeah. I've always had to defend myself. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so- Imagine, you want to imagine being black? There you go. Imagine being white. <laughs> <laughs> Say, yeah. yeah, no. You know, I mean, what you're saying is just finding a home in my heart that mm -hmm. I was waiting to hear that, hear those insights to feel that mutual respect coming and moving between us I was waiting for that and I and I understand everybody and I know you do too and I know you're not discounting I understand that it isn't always that way but I, I will say that 
having these kinds of conversations and pushing through that, why should I even keep trying? Mm -hmm. The reward is here. You get to this place. I believe, and I've had some good, really deep, real conversations, and the reward is just impossible to quantify. It's just it's exquisite. Right. Right. Okay, so thank you. Thank you for starting us off in that way. Very incredible. Yeah. Um, you and I met through Braver Angels. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Because that now I understand why you would be drawn to Braver Angels. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, and uh, when I was introduced to, to them, I was like, oh, this is going to be a good home for me. Yeah. You know, um, just from my upbringing in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I always talk about the school system that I went to and that I was raised in in Tuscaloosa County or the city, shall I say, um, where there was no zoning. And this was this goes back into desegregation where they say we're going to zone all of the schools or all of the size of town into one school district. So you had everybody from every walk of life in the same school system. Um, and so, of course, going through it, I didn't realize what I was learning, right. but I was learning how to live in a world that doesn't really exist anymore, yeah. you know, where people are forced to engage each other, forced to be around, forced to face their fears, you know, and here I am, son of a coal mine, son of a preacher, coal miner, son of a preacher, uh, I'll say middle class, you know, working class, Black American, having to finally go to school in the sixth grade with uh, people from more impoverished backgrounds, you know, maybe had a little bit more exposure to crime, Black. And I was terrified because I hadn't been around members of gangs, hadn't been around people who fought. You know what I'm saying? So I was scared of black people in the sixth grade because I'd never seen those type of black people. Right. About eighth grade and the ninth grade and 10th grade, those were my friends. Yeah. See what I'm saying? So now did I participate in certain things? No, I was taught not to do that. But I, my fear of people that look like me started to go away. And that's one thing we have to first acknowledge is that we can fear ourselves. You know, yeah. we have fear of our people that look like us, right? And, and so how can you not be empathetic of people who have fear of you who don't know you at all, who look different? <laughs> it's real, fear is real. And so uh, growing up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I was able to engage it and confront it and, and sit in class with white kids who say, you know, all black people are this. And I said, no, no, hold on. No, that's not correct. Let me explain to you, yeah. right? And then they get a different point of view because a black guy sitting there <laughs> and who didn't make them feel afraid or I'm gonna beat them upside the head for being unknowledgeable or ignorant, right? So it's like, no, let me talk to you. Let me educate you. And let me tell you a point of view, all black people. And then I was even called the W word because I was smart. <laughs> it's like, you're not black. You're smart. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. No, I'm very black. I promise yeah. you. <laughs> I love it. And I, and I am smart, you know, and those two things can coexist. But until you are confronted with your own ignorance and somebody actually respectfully pushes back, right? You you just embrace those ideas. You know what I mean? So growing up in church, got into music, of course you know, picking up a bass guitar and uh, playing sports, you know, all through high school, got a college scholarship in Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama, studied business, played football, but always uh, held on to my love for music. 
and took that business background and, you know, spent a few years in corporate America, but eventually uh, went full time in entrepreneurship with music, started my own uh, weddings and corporate band company called Music Caterers, uh, continued to invest in studio equipment. So basically been full time entrepreneurship since 2002. So going on 20 years next year, being a full time entrepreneur from going production, performance, songwriting to now where I am an artist and looks like I'm becoming more of an outspoken motivational speaker, uh, which takes me back to my roots uh, in Tuscaloosa, being the son of a preacher man. Is your father still alive? He is. He oh, is. He must he's, be so he's, proud. He's my biggest fan. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. Did we finish talking about Braver Angels and why that's a fit for you? Because oh, my apologies. Let me go to That's that. okay. Um, but I, I spoke about my upbringing. Yes. Uh, about Tuscaloosa and the school system. I went, thank you for redirecting me. Um, when I connected with Braver Angels um, as the potential artist of the month, uh, it was a way for me to connect my music and the purpose behind my music, uh, which is the enlightening power of lift um, outside of the religious rhetoric, you know, yeah. religious language of gospel, Christian right. music. You know, my faith is my faith but I still need to reach people and speak with, to them in a way that awakens them, that mm -hmm. enlightens them and allows us to connect. And so just finding an organization that says, let's bring people together mm -hmm. with opposing points of views, mm -hmm. who at least say, let me start here. <laughs> let, me, let me listen. I have a desire to listen. Right. I'm not necessarily going to give up my convictions, right. but I can become a more empowered person, a more knowledgeable person if I'm around someone with a different point of view. And so that's a natural fit for me, being that I grew up in a city school system where I've always been around people from different backgrounds yeah. uh, and been able to, to learn to listen as well as speak and say what yeah. I need to say. Right, mm -hmm. right. Thank you, I have to catch my breath again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alvin. Um, Yes. Yeah, I, I love Braver Angels, too. Um, and so I was just, the way you and I met, is just I saw that there was an artist of the month. I thought, what is that? You know, in their little newsletter. Uh -huh. And then I, anyway, okay, so moving onward. Um, what else would you like to share with us, white people who are just opening up and learning, like, um, yeah, uh, I love your music, I love the thrust of it. And what kinds of songs would you like us to know about? And maybe you can give me a couple of cuts and I can edit them into this conversation if, if you want to. Yeah, I'll, let's, let's go back to the point uh, where you say you were awakened. Um, and that was the birth of, you know, when the George Floyd thing happened, that was the birth of an album I released called The Awakening, mm -hmm. uh, where I confronted a lot of the same things maybe you were confronted. So mm -hmm. you found yourself asking questions. So did I. And I wrote a song called Something's Different This Time. Mm -hmm. You know, my question is, why do the Janines of the world care now? Yeah. Why didn't this catch your attention when Philando Castile in the same city was shot down in front of his child and his significant other? Why didn't that cause the same outrage when a father and a husband or partner, that didn't rise to the level of consciousness that 
George Floyd triggered, right? And and I was like, well, I think it was, I think it was, you know, straw that broke the camel's back too. I think there was an element of that. But I don't, I, I, I wouldn't say it was a straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and that's part of what I explored for myself in okay. this project, this album. Okay. And Something's Different This Time was the first song that I wrote on the project. But there's a song on the album called Two Fifths, right? And this was sort of this epiphany that I had when I kept asking myself, why do my white counterparts care so much now? And it wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back. It was, and it just popped in my head, animal cruelty. Okay, animal cruelty. Think about it. In in American culture, white American culture, we love our pets, right? We absolutely love our pets. We have a relationship that goes sometimes even beyond human connection with our pets and how we treat animals and how animals should be put down, how animals should be treated, whether you're a domesticated animal or whether you're a wild animal. There are different levels of engagement with animals when you are white in America. Am I right? The, it's a dog, but it's a cool dog. It won't bite me. But if it does, what do they say? Take them out back, put them down when they bite back, right? There's a way we engage that causes no emotional reaction to the death of an animal. You put them down, boom, make it quick, right? But you don't, you don't suffocate animals. Even when it's time to go, you don't suffocate an animal. That's called animal cruelty, right? Most white Americans would agree, am I right? That yes. you don't put down an animal when it's time to go by suffocating them. Right. See, oh. that was a trigger watching a man wow. suffocate yes. that triggered this animal cruelty thing that even if you're not conscious of it, it's like, what in the world? You just suffocated a man. We wouldn't do that to an animal. But we shoot him, so I don't feel much. That doesn't get my attention quite so much. Wow. See, so to me, that's why I wrote the song Two Fifths to say, let's, let's address why a black life falls under the category of animal. Oh my God. <laughs> Be it subconsciously, it falls under the category of animal. And until we suffocate you, we don't care about you catching these bullets because that's what we do to animals, right? Now, I'm not saying that that's how you feel. I'm saying that that is a consciousness. Same way, on the flip side, why don't we march in the streets? when black people kill black people. Why don't black lives matter until a white cop kills us? It's a question we have to ask. Why do black lives only matter under certain uh, prerequisites? (laughs) Right now that I might get in trouble with black people for saying that, but you still have to ask yourself, why do you not feel it the same? Why does it hurt so bad when it's Ahmaud Arbery or when it's Brianna, or when it's uh, uh, George Floyd, as opposed to the guy right around the corner who's been killed by somebody who looks just like him. Why does it feel? Why doesn't that cause the same type of trigger? And people have cooked up the explanations for that. But my question is still why? You have to ask yourself, why yeah. did you care about George Floyd yeah. differently? Or why did this not catch up? person's attention and I believe it caught America's consciousness because that pandemic slowed us down and we watched the man suffocate to death but but it was hard to reckon there's a man (laughs) and I actually had some neighbors and and actually talked to some people 
and said, oh my God, did you see that, Alvin? How are you doing? So I wouldn't, they said, no, I, I couldn't even see an animal dying like that. So I'm not just making this up. Like no, 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 true. This is what people said. I couldn't even see an animal. Like, why would you equate what happened to this man okay. to what you couldn't see happening to an animal? So there was some truth in that, but it was, it was a subconscious truth that says, yeah. maybe I don't yet see this group of people as a full human. And that's why in that song, I said, you got me working for my two fifths. Why don't you see I'm fully human, right? Cause that's building off the three fifths compromise, right? right? right. Says, right. For, for, right. To get the votes, you know, the slaves only right, count. Right, right. Let's compromise. Now, how much is the value of this black soul, this black life <laughs> in American politics, right? So you still got me working for the two fifths. I'm still trying to prove to you that I'm a father that I'm a husband, that I'm a taxpaying American, right? I'm still working for what you get by default. So that's where, for me, I said, no, it broke my heart. It always breaks my heart, but certainly watching a man get shot down in front of his child because I got two kids. And if you can't see and feel pain, watching a man die in front of his child, and that didn't hurt as bad as George Floyd. You got to look in the mirror and say, why not? <laughs> why not? Man gets shot seven times in the back in front of, and if that don't feel the same as watching the man suffocate, huh. you got to ask yourself, why not? Yeah. <sighs> okay. Yeah. So it's not like the answer is going to come right away either, but and it, and it, I, I'm, I'm listening to you. Yeah, I'm listening to you. This seemed like a good time to listen to Alvin's song, Two Fifths. From the bosom of bondage Separated from my own family All these chains are like umbilical cords around me I'm dressed like a piano Got all my fingers playing sad notes To the drunk beat of the railroad Wondering why I'm the star of this show Doesn't matter what I care. 
Cause if I move a little fast, I might get a little blast And you won't even try to repel me Oh, freedom oh, I ain't supposed to be like this no. I don't wanna be free like this No, 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 not like this Screaming freedom Where can we go from here? <laughs> I just. I, I think having the conversation and for me is owning your role in healing, yes. right? Um, for me, I don't allow the bitterness um, of the black American experience to change me to where I become toxic to everybody around me. I see it as empowerment, you know? This is what I want to understand because this is what is like the ultimate mystery is the wrong word, but the, the ultimate draw to black people that are conscious is how you maintain your spirit and that non-toxicity. How do you do that? Where, where is it? What are you drawing on? I, I, as a white person, I don't think that place exists in me because it never had to be developed i almost think that what do you think about that well i do think that there's a certain heritage a spiritual heritage yes to having survived in america what yes. we've had to survive to get to this point yes. and there is a sort of survival uh spirit that's there um that doesn't that doesn't have to be um in someone else like for instance i'm in the south i love football everybody does in the south and i always say uh, you know, they say, well, if you want to play in the SEC, you got to be cut from a different cloth. Who cares about the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and the Big 12? When you come to the SEC, you, you got to be on a whole different level to make it, right? But you got Division Two, you got Division One AA. They're still playing football. Yeah. It still hurts when they get tackled, yeah. right? Yeah. It, they're still playing the game. You still got to throw it, still got to catch it. Same game, same rules. But take somebody from one double A or division two and three, 
and bring them to the SEC. It's going to get smashed. Yeah. That's why it's so hard to bring those lower divisions onto the same football field with people that have played against tougher competition. It, it's, it's hard because why? It's, you're playing the game. It's a different type of competition. Yeah. So when you say, well, Alvin, how can you keep a smile on your face? Yeah. I'm playing in a different league. Not that I am not playing, like that you're not playing the game. It's just a different set of challenges, tougher competition. And when you can win in the SEC, it's no, it's no debate that you should be the champion because why? I had to overcome much stiffer competition. <laughs> so when you get to this place, the authenticity, authenticity is already there because I had to survive so much more to get here, right? And so, but what good would it be if I didn't take that power of overcoming that resilience and share it with someone as opposed to beating them over the head about it? To me, that's taking away the beauty of who we are and how we got here. You see what I mean? As opposed to saying, look, you may not understand how I can smile and how I can uh, detoxify after all that's been done to me. And after all, I am still overcoming, but let me teach you. Let me show you, let me enlighten your life with it so that it may inspire you to see the world differently and engage differently and maybe vote differently, who knows, or maybe pressure your representatives differently, who knows, right? But what I can't do is make you feel small for not having my same experience, right? Did I interrupt some thread of thought that you were having when I was asking you how you do this? Because you were starting out with you don't you don't hold on to that toxicity. Were you was your thinking going to go in another direction before I interrupted you at all? Mm, no. Well, yeah. you know, I, I was I was just flowing, you know. Yeah, just... yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my but, god. But I will but I will say that I was taught that um that's not the norm. Uh, my father's a, a very, very good man. Um, I, I like to say I'm just AG number two. He's the first out in Garrett, uh, came from an abusive um, rural background, yeah. uh, but decided I'm not going to treat my family the way I was treated. Yeah. Um, so he's just a loving man, strong man, you know, bodybuilder. Um, I saw love in the, in the household. Um, I was taught how to be a man from a man. And so mm -hmm. he taught me how to um, be authoritative, how to walk with my head up, how to love myself how to draw power uh, from above uh, where I can't find it horizontally. So I was taught that. It's not the norm. They don't teach it in school. They don't teach it in mainstream media. Mm -hmm. I was blessed and fortunate to get it from a man who decided I'm going to pull from a source that's bigger than me, that's higher than me, not in a religious way. Because religion doesn't teach you to show grace. Religion doesn't teach you to love past. What, that's not modern day religion. So I didn't learn religion. I learned relationship, I learned grace, I learned love. I seen it demonstrated in a man and how he treated his children, how he treated my mom, his wife. And so I'm able to give that and I see it as a calling to spread that to other people who weren't so fortunate to learn it because you're not gonna be taught to forgive people for being the descendants of somebody who did something to you or to your death, right? Because most, I would say most people, white people, have never actively engaged in systemic oppression, right? Actively engaged. Not actively. Right. 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 
have not but, actively engaged. Say, I didn't build it. Like, say, for instance, you go to a job, you go to work like everybody else. You don't make the decisions of what po the policies. You don't make those decisions. You go to work, so you're passively participating in decisions that aren't made by you, right? <laughs> now, you have some influence, but you're not, the, you don't create it. And I think we have to start there that there are so many more people who say, I don't even know what you're talking about. Right. And I'm not agreeing with it because I'm unaware of it. And even if I am aware of it, I'm busy playing in my own league. Right. <laughs> I got my own bills to pay. Right. I got my own health care to look for. I got my right. own children acting a fool. It may be different problems, but don't think that I don't have them just because I'm white. Right. right? right. <laughs> you, you know, and I think if you can't start there, right, and just finding that human connection that says, Hey, you even if they're different levels of problems, we still got them. <laughs> uh, so, so, mm. so what I read about, and sometimes I get a hint of it. I mean, you know, this white privilege thing is just—it's just like, uh, you know, I just, you know, more and more I see it since George Floyd. I, I just never had any 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 awareness of it at all. So then I read about white privilege, and then I read about sacrifices that will be necessary to to even up the playing field and um do you want to talk about that a little bit that white people because i'm not sure that i see it as sacrifices but i'm not all that attached to my i mean yeah i want to live with a roof over my head but i don't need a lot of luxuries so is it in terms of what are white people going to have to sacrifice what is implied by that well, I, here's my, um, let's start with the conversation of white privilege. I have two kids, okay? Boys, and, girls? And I have two daughters. Okay. And they go to private Christian school that costs a good amount of money. They live in a nice three-story home that costs a good bit of money. <laughs> they still tell me to buy a new car because they, they feel like I've had it too long. But if I want to buy a new car, I go buy a new car. <laughs> So they feel like that's a conversation they can have because they're Garrett's. Mm -hmm. They were born Garrett's. Now, I teach my kids how to engage the rest of the world who aren't who weren't born Garrett's, right? I serve people every day with the organization Danning Project. I want to hear about they didn't that. Have, yeah. where they, maybe they didn't have a father in the home. Maybe just getting the, the meal for today is their existence, right? But what I would prefer that your children not do is call my children privileged or tell them that they owe you something from just simply being born Garrett's. Because you're not going to inspire me to come help you if I got to protect my kids first, because I'm a man, I'm a father first. So when you attack my kids for being born Garrett's, it ain't no conversation. But if you allow me to teach my kids to build a relationship with you, mm -hmm. they can uplift you. We can uplift each other. That's where it's going to start. So how are you going to go to somebody who you immediately attack by saying, you're privileged? And they may not be conscious of it because my kids have no consciousness. They didn't create it. They were just born Garrett's. I work for that. <laughs> I work to create a life for them that they are, are beneficiaries, yeah. right? It's the difference between being a beneficiary of someone else's hard work to where you can teach that person and engage them to say, because you are blessed, 
because you are a beneficiary, here's what you can give to the world. Yeah. You don't owe the world anything for being born Garrett. Don't ever feel guilty about right. being a Garrett. Yeah. So it's easy to talk about it in terms of that, but let's take that yeah. same conversation. Yeah. I would never tell a white person to wake up and feel guilty because you were born white. You didn't create the world you were born into, but be conscious of it. And maybe if you're compelled, <laughs> give something to the world. Like you say, it's not so much you owe the world, but maybe, like I say, pressure your local judges to be more fair. Pressure your elected officials to be more fair. But do you have to? You didn't create the system. So how can I force you to do it and guilt you into this type of engagement? Same way nobody could guilt me and my kids into helping the less fortunate. I wouldn't allow it. So I have to at least understand why somebody being told, oh, you benefit from white privilege. Well, how, how about this? <laughs> oh, really? What did I do? What did I do? Okay, okay when have I ever used the N-word? Okay, when have I ever uh, done this to you? When, when did I teach my kids to hate black people? Come on, come on, right? So now I'm, I'm engaging the world like this because you're saying I'm privileged. How you know, man, you, man, my dad died of cancer. You don't know my story, boom. You know what I'm saying? My, my, my kids have all, you know, my kids have uh, anxiety attacks. You don't know what I'm dealing with, boom. So now I'm fighting. Yeah. I'm fighting because now I'm proving to you I'm not privileged just because I'm white. So if I'm here, how am I doing this? Right, right. right so just from the, the words themselves, now you're putting people on the defense as opposed to saying, hey, how can I engage you in a way that says, let me enlighten you. Let me inform you of how maybe being born a Garrett makes it different than being born on this side of town so that my baby Garretts can have empathy for those who are less fortunate, right? <laughs> but you can't force empathy. You have to inspire it. Absolutely. Um... Do you want to just unpack, I see people, this is kind of a sidetrack, but I see people uh, confusing empathy and compassion. Can you, can you separate those two? Yeah. Um, now, I, did, I haven't uh, thought about separating empathy and compassion. But what I will say about empathy is that there's a different type of engagement. Yeah. See, sympathy, I can be hands off. I can care. I can shed tears but that doesn't cost me anything. I can sympathize with your plight. If I drive past the homeless, I can look, my heart, can, my heart rate can go up like, wow, man, I feel compassion. My heart goes out. Mm -hmm. But if I have deep empathy, yeah. I try to find out what organization can I donate to? Uh, how much time can I give? Because I see myself as that homeless person. And I imagine it enough to say, man, if, I, if that was me, I would want, me to give a few bucks to this organization to give me one night in a hotel. See, empathy comes with engagement, right? If I empathize with you, that means I'm actually feeling it enough to cause action and engagement, yeah. right? A lot of people have sympathy because you can do that from hands. I can do that from six feet. Right? Yep. Yep. I, I can I can sympathize yep. for you all day. Hey, yep. Be well, you know, but you're naked, so yeah. Be naked. I hope you yeah. feel better. I sympathize. Yeah. yeah. You know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have to keep taking deep breaths in this conversation. <laughs>
Um, okay, uh, I wanted to know about the Dannon project. I, I think I've heard about it, but now you're engaged, so I want to hear what that is and what you uh, um, offer to that organization. Well, the Dannon project uh, is a one of the you know first reentry programs, uh, prison reentry programs that was started over 20 years ago here in Birmingham, Alabama, um, by a lady named Carrie Pruitt, who experienced a family tragedy and who was just led to explore what, how could I have averted this, this tragedy had the perpetrator of the crime had the support they need, had, the, had housing, had, you know, had someone help them get their driver's license. And through that family tragedy, developed an agency that does just that, you know, um, and not just for those uh, coming from, re-entering from the prison system, but even to the point of helping with diversion um, before they commit the crimes. What causes people to make the decisions they make. Oftentimes, like I said, nobody wakes up wanting to be a drug dealer, right? Nobody, you know, is mostly, can I afford diapers? Can I afford the basic necessities of life? And so at the Dannon Project, the agency is a workforce uh, development agency with uh, career services department that helps educate, empower, and help, I call it the redemption process, um, to where it's say, hey, don't just fill out an application, come help us take you through the process of going from one mindset to the next. And the Dannon Project is uh, leading in the country and um, it's based right here in Birmingham, Alabama. I um, got involved uh, with the songwriting program uh, that I developed called The Right Life. Yeah. And this was something that I was doing in the schools, but the Dannon Project invited me to do the program with their participants and a few years ago. And from there, I learned the therapeutic um, applications of, of the program with the, the Right Life, the songwriting program. Uh -huh. And we found this, this marriage to where engaging uh, this particular uh, demographic with music sort of had the same behavioral modification in, um, results as sports, you know, in our school systems by saying, hey, I'll, I'll go to class. I'll come if I can go to that music class. You know yeah. what I mean? If I can get in the studio. So we not only use it as empowerment and education and entertainment, but just to reinforce and, and it, you know, hey, you can come, but you have to stay engaged. You have to finish your program to be able to come and do something you love. And so it's been just an amazing experience and allow me, uh, you know, just to represent, um, you know, what success can look like. Success does not always look like a hip hop star, right? It can look simply like a nine to five. That's okay. Yeah. Simply taking care of my children, simply making a good decision today, mm -hmm. simply forgiving somebody mm -hmm. for stepping on my shoes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> those, that's success. And it may sound yeah. foreign to people who don't have to make those types of engagements on a day-to-day -day basis, but some, some days you getting your shoes stepped on could be the end of your life. And that's unfortunate. But yeah. if I can help somebody change that mindset and say, no, 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 these are just shoes. I'll buy some more, but I value your life because we're in the same journey together. And that's what we do at the Danny Project. Um, and so it's an honor uh, to be able to be who I am and, and be a part of something so noble. Beautiful. Um, so I, I wonder, have you ever um, learned about or looked into uh, brain science at all of, of learning and playing music and how that changes everything? It's not so much, not scientifically, um, but just Here's, more practically. 
Yeah, there's some amazing brain science out there that's translated for people who aren't, you know, brain scientists. And it right. is so validating for the kind of uh, service that you're providing, you know, where people, you know, I, I heard recently that uh, science is the language of uh, spiritual, well, I, I don't quite get it, but um, it's the language that we can all relate to. It's a universal language where religion used to be the universal language before. But we can all, you know, if something is showing that my brain waves are becoming more coherent because I'm doing this kind of learning or this kind of, you know, and mm -hmm. my brain waves are changing over time, all of that is so interesting. So, um, yeah, yes. maybe, maybe that's something you could look into sometime because I've just I mean, been I'm, fascinated. I may, need to do that. I may need to do that because, you know, I am a firm believer that frequencies and sounds and music, you know, influence human behavior and thoughts. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so I'm no expert on yeah. the science of it, but I know like when I'm creating music, yeah. I call it, I listen for the sonics is what I like to say. Uh -huh. What are the sonics of this music? So if you go listen to The Awakening, as as you, you know, I spoke about earlier, yeah. you'll hear a more introspective frequency, sonic range yeah. to where even how I'm singing, the music production, it makes you think. It kind of make gives you this heavy feeling, like wow. But then I came back with the lightness of love, yeah. and the music has this light sonic. Yeah. You don't feel the same way. You just kind of like okay, and the sound of my voice lifts you. So I was very uh, uh, intentional about the type of music that I chose to record to, yeah. based on the feeling that I want the listener to have when they're listening to my music. And you you succeed at that. <clears throat> and the only reason I brought that up is because it it objectifies that subjective experience that you're describing. So more people can just say, whoa, this is real. This is something to 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 hold on to and to pursue because the, the benefits are measurable. So that right. you know, for certain people, that that really, really helps to say, oh, music isn't a luxury, it is a necessity. Yes, yes. You know. And then being creative and putting your own thoughts and everything that I imagine that you help these people at, uh, through the Danon Project be able to express and draw upon from themselves. That, mm -hmm. You know, it's such a beautiful gift, but the brain science of all of that and understand, I'm just I'm just learning about that that exists, that they're doing research that, yeah, is very, very relevant and very practical and very um, nurturing for everybody's understanding and, and moving forward. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what else should we talk about? Your daughters? Just tell me, tell me about your daughters just a little bit. And yeah. then I, I, I shouldn't yeah. take up too much more of your time, but let's hear your oh, daughters. No, no, no. Look at see. how bright you got when we did bring up your daughters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you hit my soft spot. That's yep. track, track number three on my latest album. Oh. Uh, but my girls, uh, you know, 12 and, and seven. Oh. And so, you know, that's, they, they, they brighten everything about my life. You know what I mean? And certainly add uh, purpose. Cause you, you know, as you become a father and you, you seeing your kids become you, like for instance, my oldest, she ate my gummy bears last night and did not ask, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> baby sis busted on her like, I didn't know it. And she knew I bought them for myself, okay? 
She knew they were mine. So I'm slightly perturbed and I go, I say, hey, you know, what's up with that? You know these are mine. Why'd you eat them? I don't know. I don't know. So you, you, but you knew they were mine. You knew you were stealing my stuff. You didn't even mad. Yeah, but so I'm like, where's the remorse? I'm getting more and more upset. Like, where's the remorse? Like, <sighs> and then, you know, you know, you hear a little chuckle, you know, downstairs and like, where you laughing at? Oh, that's your kid. <laughs> oh, have, you, have you forgotten how you, you know? So I was like, shush, you know? <laughs> ah, ah. So, you know, your kids can teach you so much about yourself. So, you know, I had to start thinking, yeah, you know what? That is kind of me. You know, I used to say, dang, growing up to my siblings. I'm like, but hey, it was in there. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so only through your kids can you see the best and worst of yourself. You know what I'm saying? So um, yeah, my girls, uh, they are they are everything to me. So oh, thank you for sharing that. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Will you will you give me a a, a cut of some music of yours and just uh, to, to edit into this? Sure, absolutely. You, want, you mean you want me to give you the actual music or you want me to sing it or do it? How do you want it? Well, What's best you, for you? What do you want to do? Well, well I, I, you know, certainly for the purpose of your platform, I definitely want, you know, people to listen to, you know, one, you know, something's different this time. Um, because that's, yeah. that was the beginning of my journey, which I believe was like you mentioned was the beginning of yours, like say yeah. something's different yeah. this particular time. Yeah. Whether you can say, hey, this is what it is, I'm not sure. Yeah. But in that song, I asked why. So let's take a listen to it. Something's different this time. You think by now we'd be through with this? You think by now we'd have this thing figured out? Breathless, this is time around. 
starting my journey after seeing George Floyd um, murdered and seeing the response by white America to what was going on. You know, of course I asked something's different time, but then you start seeing buildings burning, you start seeing the outrage, you start seeing a lot of some, some to me, which some things that just didn't feel right. You know what I mean? And so uh, that led me to write the song, It Starts in the Heart, where I said, hey, where are we marching? Do we know where the end's gonna be? You know, if, if we go do this, what's the outcome? Have we thought this through? I know, man, I know you feel in a certain way, but who's holding your hand? Who's leading you? You know, is this making it worse? Is it making it better? So it's a song full of questions, but where, where it all goes back to is the heart. You have to go back to the heart and say, hey, wherever we're going, we have to get there together. So I think it'd be good if we take a listen to that right now. It starts in the heart. Do we know where the road's gonna end? Who are we following? Are we further than where we began? Who are we watching? Are we sure that there will be a friend? Why are we hollering? That's not how we're gonna win It starts in the heart That's where the journey begins It starts in the heart That's where the pain will end We'll never make it till we change direction We'll only arrive there together It starts in the heart Oh yeah It starts in the heart Do you remember Their dreams from long ago They painted a picture Of a future we're yet to behold 
Our vision is blurry And we're blinded by all the noise We need an awakening We've been sleeping for way too long And it starts in the heart That's where the journey begins It starts in the heart That's where the pain will end Cause we'll never make it till we change directions We'll only arrive there together Start in the heart Oh, it's holding your hand Oh, it's holding your hand For you lending your ear You better be careful than you Don't be led astray It don't matter what they say Don't be confused, it's us in the heart And that's where, that's where the journey begins It starts in the heart And that's where, that's where the pain will end Now we'll make it till we change directions And we'll only All right, then that makes me want to ask one more question. And that's about uh, the need for critical thinking. And how does that get, you know, more promoted into all of our communities, really? I'm just afraid of how critical thinking is just so much not emphasized in this country. Right. Well, and that goes back to the most (laughs) uh, dangerous attack on our democracy, and that's First Amendment. That's our First Amendment rights. I made a post last night. If you don't speak your mind, you risk losing it. I saw that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And so many people, like you just said, are simply afraid, afraid of the consequences of even asking questions, yeah. right? Of even trying to think critically. Um, there's such a cost and a penalty to being free and open minded uh, thinkers that people say, well, I'm just not going to say anything at all. Yeah. Why? You know, I'm Black, but I may have some different questions about Black Lives Matter, but I don't want to get kicked out the Black race, so let me just hush. Let me, I don't want to get canceled by people that look like me, so let me hush, right? Instead of engaging in critical thinking and getting beat up by folks that look like me, let me hush, right? And that happens on all sides. Yeah. I'm saying, like, yeah. you know, if you don't understand the transgender experience and you say anything about it, ask a question, then you're a bigot now. Wait a minute. When does ignorance become equivalent with bigotry? Mm. Ignorance is not bigotry. Mm. And until you can allow people to say, well, can we talk this through? Can we figure out 
you know, this together. Can I give you my point of view? You give me yours and we mm. come to a better conclusion together on mm. any issue. Mm. When there's no engagement there, no challenging of people's mindsets, then you're right. There is no critical thinking. Mm. And, and everybody gets silent at that point. Mm. Or they build in that frustration until they find more frustrated people. And now we get to become an outspoken group who says we'll burn everything down because right. we're just that frustrated right, right. because we couldn't think it through. Right, the cost right. was too high right. to have a different point of view. Right. The cost was too high. So let me protect myself and the masses and fight back. You see what I mean? And so we have to find a safe, like we're doing today, we have to find a way to say it's okay to think critically. It's okay to find out that you're wrong. <laughs> it's okay to find out that you may be uninformed, right? This, this cop may not be trying to kill you today, right? Not saying that some aren't, but it's okay to consider maybe you was just speeding, yeah. right? Yeah. You, 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 right? Yeah. So there's so much pressure to just remove free thinking, critical thinking, to just blend in, and social media is the worst. You know, those algorithms yep. that'll feed you what they think you should believe. And yep. then now you bought, you bought into it and you're not even using your mind at all. Right. So thank you right. for even saying, hey, Alvin, I am a white woman who wants to know about this. And I didn't know about it until this point in my life. Will you talk to me? And I'm actively engaging to inform so that I can be a, a, a more critical thinker about this. I admire that. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's not easy to do because people may turn around and say, oh, why are you just not learning now? Look at how, look at how, how, how'd you miss it for so long? And now you're being hit with guilt for saying I'm open-minded, I'm trying to learn. And, and that's not fair yeah. uh, in, my, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I think there are some other layers of this critical thinking challenge too, where um, perhaps the creators of the algorithms do not want this critical thinking to go on and maybe we don't want to get into that conversation or maybe we do but um, that that's I see a lot of manipulation and so that you and I wouldn't talk and that oh, breaks my heart yeah, yeah. Absol absolutely I know and I agree with you um, because it's easier to sell stuff <laughs> you know be it yeah. Products, goods, services, ideas, it's easy to sell you if I can put you in a box. Yep. Right? It's much easier for advertisers if everyone stay in their box. Right? Yep. Yep. Um, so that's, yeah, it, it is capitalism, you know what I'm saying? Hey, yeah. even at a retail store, you know, this one store on this side of town will not have the same clothes that they have on this other side of town. Same, mm. same store, different clothes, depending on where you shop, you know, so... Um, Someone was asking me why why did I create a podcast, mm -hmm. and it was so that I could have conversations like this. It was just oh. I am so grateful to you. I I just I don't know how I'm going to even get my feet on the ground after this conversation. I I have nothing but love and respect for you, and I hope I get to meet you someday because I I have a friend in um, Montgomery. So how far away? Uh huh. So how far away is Birmingham? I could look on the map, but is it an hour? Over an hour, a little over an hour, and we actually have 
a Dannon Project location in Montgomery. Oh, wow. So we had there. So we serve that community um, as well. So. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Well, then we will meet someday for sure. I, uh, that's got to happen. Um, I, I just, I think everything I say doesn't even, it's like here and what I'm feeling is here. So I just, just going to do sign language. <laughs> <laughs> but that well, I, that makes me that makes me feel good because that's what I want to do. You know, I want to lift uh, people. That's something my dad um, really impressed upon me. At I'll just say as my pastor, he yeah. said, "If it doesn't edify, what's the point?" In other yeah. words, what's the point of anything if the purpose is not to uplift? Yeah. You know, if you walk away from this conversation feeling depressed, oppressed, suppressed, like, oh my God. Uh, I, I've lived my life as this white woman, oh, woe is me, then what have I really given to you? Right. You know, this engagement doesn't have you saying, wow, I don't feel such a burden anymore being who I am. You know what I'm saying? That's, to me, that's a beautiful gift to give somebody. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? saying you, you should not feel guilty for being who you are, you know, and for being different, regardless of whether you're from a privileged group of people or not, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so I, I don't, I don't even aspire to that. Cause some people might say, yeah. man, you privileged, you, you know, your daddy, Yeah. yeah. you know, that makes me, you privileged. You ain't like me. So, so, but I say, well, maybe so, but here's what I'm going to do about it. Right. And I'm yeah. going to be a father. I'm going to be a big brother. Yeah. Right. Since you may not have had that experience, my empathy inspires me to be that for you. Right. So, but, but in the meantime, don't punish me for that. Don't, don't beat me up right. for having had the luxury or the privilege of having something different. You know what I mean? And so uh, thank you for allowing me to, to give this gift, you know, so that, you know, cause I know that's not the norm, you know, people open up and they say, Oh, let me drill down. And I've seen that a lot, Yeah. you know, certainly last year. And that was one of the things that broke my heart. I'll leave you with this. Um, when I saw um, how black America, not all, nothing's all inclusive. Right. Um, many Black Americans saw an opening in a window to, I mean, double down on the guilt, yeah. double down and just beat people to death simply because they're showing a little bit of vulnerability and, and compassion, as you mentioned, listening, asking questions. Oh, this is our time. This is our moment. We're going we're gonna to hit you with every, we're going to make sure you feel the weight of this 400 plus year experience tomorrow, right now because you're listening now, I got your attention. Oh, let me pummel you with guilt. And I saw that happening every day. And I'm like, hold up, yeah. this ain't gonna last long. Yeah, It's not gonna last long. This, this open window you have, where you got white America's ears, not gonna last long. What we got now, critical race theory. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a response. That's a response to a, a moment in history that we had to build advocacy with empathy, create a relationship wow. that may have never happened before in our history. We had that window and we beat everybody up who walked in that room. Mm. And now we got critical race theory where it's like, ain't my fault. Don't talk mm. about it because mm. we tried to talk to you and you told us it was our fault. Well, I know, no. Mm. Now you got a revolt mm. against the response to an open ear. Mm. When you revolt <laughs> when you treat people like that when they're finally listening 
and you're like, oh, this is my window to beat you over the head with this hammer and kill. Oh, wait till they fight back because it's coming and we're in the middle of it now. So, where, so what? Ahmaud Arbery is dead. So what? This person goes across state line and shoots up a bunch of people. He feared for his life. I don't care no more because I tried to talk to you when George Floyd died and you called me a racist. So, you know, yeah, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on board with this critical race theory. No matter what you do, they're going to say it's your fault. Right? Or I've been called a savior. So all of that, what I'm saying is, collectively, if you get a group of people who like yourself say, I actually do care, no matter what I say, you're going to beat me up about it, that gives rise to frustration. Yeah. It gives rise to a pushback. And all it takes is the right inspiring voice yeah. <laughs> leader yes. that can capture that and call it something right? And call it something that people say, you know what, I'm going to rally behind this. And it's not hatred. It's, it's, it's just boiled over frustration. Yeah. And of course you have people that embrace hatred, yeah. but then there's also people who are just highly frustrated because no matter what they do, you know what I'm saying? And that's not just white America. Right. That's every group of human beings you can find yeah. is, is, is if you beat me up long enough, I'm frustrated enough to fight back. So the only way to make change is to soften and say, let me meet you like we're meeting today. Let me meet you in a lighter place where we can talk and not make each other feel guilty simply because we are who we are. We look the way we look. We have our respective experiences. Let's start there and go up, you know? So thank you. I mean, I really appreciate this opportunity to share with you. Deeply emerging, deeply emerging. We'll be in touch, all right? Thank you, Robin. Thank you with all my heart, thank you. Thank you as well. Big hug to your father and to your beautiful family. For real, I'm gonna do that in person one of these days. Within a year, hopefully, for real. Yeah, come on, shout. Love it. Shout. (laughs) All right, thank you. All right, thank you, bye-bye. Please check out this show's notes where I've included a few links for you to learn more about and stay in touch with Alvin and his world of creative contributions, as well as links to learn more about Braver Angels. Quite soon, it will be possible for you to support this One White Woman podcast via Patreon, and more about that soon. Meantime, please find us on Instagram and Facebook. I want to remind you about the intent of this podcast which is to ask big questions, then share the listening and learning with as many people as possible to counterbalance the negative narratives and the miseducation to which we've all been exposed. Thank you again for being here, for learning with me. Every step of learning makes a difference for all of us, whatever the color of our skin.